You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis. Uh, Sorry for the two-day break. I did take that time uh, to just relax a bit. I am recording on Thanksgiving, so to those who celebrate, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. It was a fun one for myself as uh, my daughter is three, and it was our first time watching the parade with her, and uh, went up and down in terms of interest, but it was still a a fun little day. Uh, I liked when she took out her instruments because there were people playing instruments or when she noticed there was a baseball on one of the floats and daddy likes baseball so those were uh those are some of my highlights i hope you had a a fine holiday or if nothing else just a relaxing day so of course uh you know with this gap in podcasts the indians do kind of they make a minor move but it is an interesting move and we're gonna spend most of the show talking about the jordan humphreys edition and also kind of looking at brad hand and adam simber and Francisco Mejia. And before any of that gets started, let's talk about the San Francisco Giants. So they had a really surprising season last year. They had a lot of guys come out of, I mean, Mike Yastrzemski's season. I mean, that was out of nowhere. It's the guy who's been, every team in baseball has had multiple opportunities to add. Uh, Solano, the uh, up-the-middle player. I mean, they just had a lot of guys who had breakout years. But why is this a bad day for the Giants? So I've never been the biggest Chris Shaw guy. I've never been the biggest Aramis Garcia guy. I've been very honest about that. I think before Shaw was even designated for assignment, I had talked about how uh, he was not a guy I was as high on. But, uh, you know, there's still guys who are both first-round selections. And Humphreys was the player they got in the Billy Hamilton deal. So three prospects were, I would say, were all still ranked amongst their top 30 young players. Um, I'm not sure if Garcia and Shaw still qualified as prospects. I'd have to dig into that. But they lost three players from <laughs> trying to set their 40-man. Uh, not ideal. Uh, I think we all agree with that. So that, that's rough for the Giants. So should we just dive into who Jordan Humphreys is? Uh, Jordan Humphreys is a very interesting pitcher who it's, it fits the Indians' model perfectly. He's exactly the type of guy the Indians find more in and find a way to make better. He's just been completely, totally, and utterly unable to stay healthy. Drafted is a 14th, or sorry, 18th round pick back in 2015 out of Crystal River High School in Crystal River, Florida. You know, day three pick, not high expectations on those players in general. He, in 2015, you know, he's, he's okay. You know, he doesn't miss a ton of bats that year. It's only 11 innings. There's not much to take from it. Next year, he pitches in rookie ball and mostly just in rookie ball in the Appalachian League, the short season ball, and stands out for having a 9.9 strikeouts per nine with a walk rate of 1.9. All very good. Low home run rates. 2016 goes well. 2017, he pitches 80 innings, and this is kind of what put him on the map, made him one of those sleepers to look. So he's in the, uh, the Sally League and the Florida League. He gets pushed up to high A. Between those two leagues, again, only 80 innings. You'd like to see a bit more, but still, 9.3 strikeouts per nine, 1.3 walks per nine, 0.3 home runs per nine, 6.5 hits per nine. Especially down in the Sally League, he is just utterly dominant. Over 11 starts, a 1.42 ERA, 10.3 strikeouts per nine, 1.2 walks per nine. Uh, Great. Requires Tommy John surgery, doesn't pitch in 2018. 
pitches all of two innings in, in 2019 with the Mets. Manages to get 11 innings, but very good reports on those 11 innings in 2019 of uh, Arizona fall ball. And this year, you know, we know what happens with uh, minor leaguers and there being no minor leagues. So essentially, you're looking at a guy who, you know, was drafted five years ago, has five seasons. Uh, I mean, you, I guess you would say four seasons in the minors because there was no year this year. But five years from his draft year, the chance to have had five seasons in a normal situation, and he has pitched a total of 169 innings. There are pitchers who pitch that in one minor league season. Not many. You know, <laughs> that is a lot in a minor league season, but it does happen. Uh, he's just, you know, they watch the arm. They were careful. He was a hot rising prospect for them. I know after 2017, I thought he was a top 10 prospect in their system. I was really intrigued by him. And then we just haven't had a chance to see him pitch. The numbers are there though. And that's why the Indians took a gamble. Uh, he's exactly their type of pitcher. He's exactly, he's a, you know, more of a low nineties guy control, good secondary stuff. But for a young pitcher to come in and pitch as well as he did, he's slightly undersized at six, two for a righty. There could be more. I'll just put it that way. There could be some area to grow on with him, some way to uh, that this could turn into a steal down the line. It could also turn into nothing. He may not be able to ever stay healthy. He may have missed too much developmental time. The Giants thought they could take him off their 40-man. I mean, this is a guy who has pitched two minor league innings since 2017. They were hoping to slide him through. I, I guarantee you that's what it was. They didn't think anyone would use a 40-man slot on a guy who had pitched two innings in the last three years. Well, the Indians decided to take that chance. And when I talk about his statistical performance there, you can see why. Uh, he didn't, you know, it's all in the low ball. So you always have to take that with kind of a, a grain of salt, as it were. It's all, you know, low ball numbers. Highest we get to is uh, high A, and it's only for two starts. So it's not uh, an in-depth set of numbers that we can be 100% sure on. But there's enough there to make him interesting. And there's enough there where, you know, he's not going to pitch in the majors next year. And we know that. And the Indians are taking that risk. And they'll always take that risk on arms. That's why, you know, they're afraid of other teams taking that risk. That's why Juan Carlos Mejia is still on the 40-man at this point in time. So, yeah. I, I mean, I like the addition. And why I like the addition is I'm not Adam Simber is likely I mean there's a chance that he'll pass through waivers like let's be perfectly honest there's a chance that he can clear waivers he has not done enough to justify him being a slam dunk player to claim he has been home run prone he has his walk rates have been up and down and he has been completely totally and utterly unable to miss bats and that's kind of the story here with him I was talking about this on Twitter, but it was, you know, when the Indians made that trade for Fran trading Francisco Mejia, who at the time was one of the uh, higher-end prospects in all of baseball, was arguably the highest-rated prospect that traded hands at the deadline that year. And, you know, I've talked about uh, the Indians were shopping him off pretty much continuously for a few years in a row. And eventually they, they did this trade. And why did they do this trade? Well, they saw Simber, who was in his first season in the majors and what he was doing. And they saw Brad Hand having three years of control. So essentially you're getting three and a half years of Hand and you're going to get six, six, you know, six, five and a half seasons of Simber. You're getting nine seasons for Mejia, who at best you're going to get six seasons out of if he works out. And the Indians had massive issues in their bullpen. You know, this is when uh, Allen and Miller 
flamed out, and this is also when this uh, team was hoping to contend. So they go out and make that deal knowing that, yeah, you know, the value here is in that we can get nine seasons. Well, instead they got five. That's part of the problem, that uh, Simber was not who they thought he was, and, you know, if if my... If 24-7 hadn't scrubbed the baseball side of things, you could go find my article where I talked about my concerns right there that Adam Simber's strikeout rate in his half a season with uh, the San Diego Padres was something he had never done. And that always concerns me that a guy gets to the majors and all of a sudden he's striking out guys at a rate heretofore unseen by him. And that proved to be kind of the biggest issue is he was no longer able to keep missing bats. And his strikeout rate per nine over that first 48 innings with uh, San Diego that year as a 27-year-old rookie in 2018 was 9.5. I say that like that because when he came to Cleveland, he dropped to 3.2. In 2019, it was up to 6.5. And then this past year and his up and down was down to four. So he never even came close to 9.5. It was massively lower. And across his minor league uh, career, 7.7, 5.7, Not good. You know, that, that was always there. And that's why I always thought it was odd that he was up to 9.5, that he got I, he got some majors and all of a sudden players were missing at rates that we had never even remotely seen with him. It is also interesting, though, to go and look at things like, you know, his FIP, which... This year wasn't that bad, a 3.99, a 4.36, a 3.42 in that first year. So, you know, if you just look at something like FIP, there's a chance you would uh, consider claiming him. If you look at XFIP, I bet his XFIP is even better because it normalizes home run rate, uh, which always benefits guys like him or, you know, back in the J, Josh Tomlin. That was a great stat for him. And, you know, his ERA plus is not bad. Like, there's reasons to think a team might want to take a chance on Adam Simber. But uh, I also got where the Indians were willing to, to consider letting him go. And we'll dive into more of that in a second here. So our sponsor today on the show is Built Bar. I talk about Built Bar all the time. It is one of my all-time favorite morning meals. Uh, I have like four in my book bag right now. I take to work with me every day. A lot of times I've got like essentially what ends up being once you transit time and everything else as a teacher, get about 15 minutes to eat my lunch. That means... I don't want to go microwave something. I don't want to go spend that extra time. I just kind of want to sit, veg, and often read some sports. Uh, open up a built bar, probably end up eating two of them. Give me gives me the energy for the rest of my day. Go try the mix box. That is what I recommend every time. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on. I wish I could still use that promo code. Builtbar.com promo code locked on. And try the bar that I'm using every day, sometimes for breakfast and lunch, sometimes just breakfast, sometimes just lunch. It is a product that uh, I believe in and use. BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on. One last note on Adam Simber. I think it is interesting to realize that there was a point in time in 2019 where he was a major setup man for the Indians. I was going through some of my old tweets uh, after reading my ad break there, and when you go through, he was extremely lucky uh, lucky in the first half, extremely unlucky in the second half, part of that big bullpen implosion. And now here we get to this point. It's like, what other reasons might have factored in him let, being let go when, again, you've got Bo Taylor? I understand the Indians always like to carry three catchers, so you have Bo Taylor, but I'm pretty sure that no one is going to claim him, and you could do exactly what you did with Mike Freeman with Bo Taylor. 
when you have Juan Carlos Mejia, I yes, you could try to pass him through. I think Jordan Humphreys is much more interesting, much more well thought of. Has definitely been written by uh, various sites a lot more than someone like Juan Carlos Mejia. So what's the other thing with Simber? He is arbitration eligible, and I think there is probably some discussions about designating him for assignment even before now. So that could have definitely played in. Uh, this is an Indians team that appears to be cutting. Uh, I shouldn't say cutting corners. That's not what I'm going for. I want to go with the expression watching every penny and save a little bit of money when you have an arbitration eligible player and you don't have an arbitration eligible player anymore because you let him go. So I do think that that plays into it. Do I think it's a central part? No. But do I think it has an effect? Yes. Uh, I think, you know, it's the same thing. Brad Hand would still be here if this was not a team that was concerned about money. I'm, you know, if the Mets had been sold a little bit sooner, the Indians would have saved an extra million. He would have been claimed by the Mets. And it seems like he has a, a wealth of suitors right now, so I'll be curious to see where he goes. At the end of the day, Cleveland got, you know, 58 saves, 107 innings pitched, and 111 games out of Brad Hand. From Adam Simber, they got uh, 110 games pitched, over 88 innings. Across that time, Simber was worth about 0.3 war. Uh, you know, his his half a season in San Diego was 0.6. That's most of his career. For Brad Hand, his war over his time in Cleveland is uh, about 2.7. So the Indians got about three wins in three years from those players. The other side of things, Francisco Mejia has been, for San Diego, worth zero. Appearing in three, uh, 128 games, 362 plate appearances. Uh, they give him an opportunity every single year. He In 2019, he hit okay. He was close to a league average bat. But with his liability as a defender and the fact he just, you wouldn't know this because it was before the podcast existed, but you could dig out the tweets. Um, you can't read the old articles because, again, 24-7 uh, cleared out their site. But the problem with Mejia was always he was a hit tool and nothing else. And that is always scary. He didn't, didn't walk enough. There wasn't power. There wasn't anything to really make him uh, a solid major leaguer outside of the hit tool. And when you are especially carried by a hit tool, the chance that you are going to um, see your performance uh, diminish at each level is a lot higher. And San Diego, you know, they they thought so much of Mejia, they kept playing Austin Hedges over him, uh, who was I mean, a much better defender, but he can't hit. And then they went out and traded a lot of value to go get Austin Nola. And I mean, Mejia is still on roster, but he is not, uh, I don't even know if he's guaranteed to be a backup. Remember, they also went out and they added multiple catchers. They traded Hedges, and then they went out and added Jason Castro as well, because they didn't even trust Mejia to be a backup. So at the end of the day, the Indians win this deal. Did not work out for either team how they expected. Like I said, the Indians thought they were getting nine years of pitchers. They got five. The Padres thought they were getting a uh, potential plus hit catcher. Well, he, you know, worst case, he can be a plus hitting outfielder. He has not found a home for them. He has not hit enough. He has spent time in the outfield at catcher, uh, DH. They've tried to find places. It just has not worked so far. And we'll see if at some point he puts it together. Uh, it may not be with the Padres. Uh, there have been other catchers. Uh, Yasmani Grandal is a recent example who it took leaving the uh, the Padres to figure it out. So 
Francisco Mejia can hit. We'll see if he can ever put it all together, uh, hit enough to turn into a major leaguer. But it's still a win by the Indians. Uh, they just got fooled by Simber. I think more than anything else, that is the big... You know, Brad Hand was who they thought that he was, and he was effective enough for them. I also think at the time they didn't think that $10 million for a closer would be a big cost when you look at what they were paying Andrew Miller as a setup man. But times have changed in that team and that payroll. And when you look at Simber, again, they got fooled by a hot first half. Uh, that's There's no other way to look at it other than that. And it's really unfortunate for them because, uh, you know, I think at the time they were hoping he would be Joe Smith part two. And obviously that did not happen. That did not come together. And we'll see if someone claims him. It, it, again, it's possible. The numbers aren't terrible. They're not particularly good, but they're not awful. And he's 29, and yes, he is arbitration eligible, but it's not like he is going to be um, anything above minimum. Like, I'd be surprised if he was... He's not even... He's not a million-dollar player, let's be honest. Uh, at the end of the day, he's going to be very close to the league minimum even at that. So that's the big Indian stuff. Should we touch on the minor news that has occurred since uh, the podcast? Uh, Jed Hoyer, five-year deal with the Cubs. He is essentially going to take over for the uh, the role of Theo Epstein. Had there, started out in Boston with Theo, had his time in San Diego. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Charlie Morton got the $15 million that he originally had. That was the option that Tampa had and declined for him. And the Braves out there spending $26 million all in one-year deals. Smiley and Morton are now part of that rotation Older guys, uh, a lot of risk with both of those signings, but it's also very interesting because, I mean, a healthy Mike Soraka, Max Freed was awesome this year, Ian Anderson, I think, very confident in, but all of those other arms they had that they're paying $26 million because they couldn't get one starter out of Kyle Wright, Sean Newcomb, Bryce Wilson, Tuki Toussaint, Huascar, you know, Tucker Davison, Patrick Weigel. And I bring all of this up because it's funny to see how many like proposed Atlanta Braves to Indians trades are basically like Sean Newcomb, Bryce Wilson, Tuki Toussaint, Tucker Davison, Patrick Weigel, like five of those guys for uh, Jose Ramirez. It's like, I, no, it doesn't, your cast offs don't work in trades. That's not how this works. Uh, but none of those guys, they had all of those uh, pitching prospects and they could not develop them. Now, all of them were not my favorites. Like they were, there were control issues. There were uh, classic issues of stuff, not matching production, uh, some head game issues. It's it's very interesting to look at all of the arms. Because remember, for a long time, there were people who had the Braves as the number one farm system in baseball because of those arms. And they don't have that much to show for it. Right? I mean, they've developed three pitchers so far, several high picks in that group, or massive center. You know, Newcomb was the centerpiece of the uh, Simmons deal. Uh, you know, Max Freed was actually not drafted by them. He was a cheap get who had fallen out of favor in San Diego. Uh, Kyle Wright was a high pick. It's just, it's interesting to look at. And then speaking of pitchers whose performance, uh, scouting report never matched performance, a classic challenge trade between the Reds and uh, the Rockies, the Reds get, tra- get Jeff Hoffman, who is out of options, along with Case Williams. The uh, Rockies get Jamison Hanna and Robert Stevenson. Hanna is a guy who started out in Oakland. He's been well thought of for a while. He just hasn't had an opportunity to perform. I believe both Hanna and Stevenson, though, are on the 40-man, so this is also a bit of 40-man uh, issues, I think, kind of helping balance things out. 
in this situation, two guys on. I, I mean, I don't know if Case Williams is on or not. I'd have to really dig into him. I don't know him as well. Uh, Stevenson was another, much like Hoffman. These guys are both top 100 prospects all the way through. Thought to be future, you know, flamethrowing guys. I don't. Stevenson was not as much front of the rotation potential. Hoffman, again, was the ninth overall pick, centerpiece of the Troy Tulowitzki deal. Uh, Stevenson was a high first rounder, but as like a lot of pitchers before Cincinnati changed their coaching structure, he had control problems and he had control problems and he had control problems and he did nothing to work at his control problems. So he was in high A and walking too many guys and he got to the majors and why did he fail as a starter? Because he was walking too many guys. Uh, it was just, it was crazy that they, (laughs) they, you have these pitchers and it was just the cycle of guys who'd walk too many guys, get to the majors, and that's still their problem, and then they couldn't get beyond it. So the stuff is there for Stevenson. He's been effective as a reliever at points. Uh, he could be a, I'm assuming he'll probably be a reliever for Colorado. He is more, he's the most proven guy in the deal. Like, I feel like he has, Hoffman is your upside piece, and Jamison Hanna is an interesting, again, fourth outfield type, good outfielder. Um, I like this deal pretty strongly for uh the cubs just because and stevenson's shown effectiveness in the majors uh that is something that has never occurred for hoffman now hoffman going to cincinnati is perfect like if you read any of my draft stuff this past year i talked about you know they took uh joe boyle from notre dame who to me was like the perfect pitcher for them because he has he's young for his class he's got great spin so does jeff hoffman by the way great spin numbers good velocity both these guys but they just don't know quite how to pitch right and in spite of great stuff Hoffman has never been able to miss bats at a a rate you expect for him he's going to go into an environment now where he is picked apart and put back together and I would not be shocked if I'm going to have to eat crow on Jeff Hoffman because of here's a team that is finally going to a place where Hoffman is going to be uh, coached right like you look at for me at least when I look at Colorado I mean they haven't been able to keep John Gray together how many pitchers have gone to Colorado and I understand it's a hard environment to pitch but they just struggle when uh to fix pitchers who have been effective they they're uh pitching developmental train it's like a guy struggles and then they don't know how to get them back on track and he's going to go to a completely different place going to be coached up a lot better than he has been and Hoffman could emerge he could be the best player in this deal I, again, think Jamison Hanna can be a great fourth outfielder, and I think Stevenson has shown that he can work as a reliever. So I'll be curious to see. It's a it's a challenge trade. I mean, because Stevenson and Hoffman are both guys who have not lived up to their ratings. Stevenson has shown a bit more, but is there a chance? Like, if you're Colorado, do you think, hey, you know, this is a big, strong guy. He's got three pitches. Maybe they're going to try him as a starter again. Maybe they feel like they can get there. For Cincinnati, they're getting a guy who a lot of people have been really enthralled with I, I remember before uh Kylie McDaniel went to the Braves like I mean Hoffman was his guy he wrote up on him extensively and when you saw him at East Carolina the stuff just blew you away uh, to look at and watch and see the movement but it didn't blow away the opponents that East Carolina was facing uh again not a noted baseball conference and that is why you know I, I think the Reds are doing the right moves they're going out and getting someone who has failed and they're getting him a lot cheaper with a chance to fix him because they now have 
all of that data with driveline. They have a one of the best pitching coaches in all of baseball in their majors. They are set up to succeed, and this is exactly what their organization with the Indians, you know, with Jordan Humphreys, you can look as a, a mirror to this. Because Humphreys is a perfect Indians pitcher. He is. He has what they need, and they went out and got him cheap, and we'll see if it works. So the Reds, they're going out and getting a guy who's got the tools. The only question is now, can they put it together for him? And he's going to an environment where if you're going to go out and get that fantastic staff, you're going to pay more for that pitching coach, that pitching staff in the minors. This is what you do. This is how you maximize your value is by making sure that you go out and find the undervalued arm. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast for this week. Uh, I'm going to try to have a new guest every Monday. There will be repeats at times, and there will be times where there are no guests because I can't line someone up. But And that's for the Tuesday podcast, obviously, not the Monday podcast. I recorded on Mondays, so that's you get the point. But I'm going to try to get that all lined up. I'm hoping to have uh, Liebs on, who I talked about before. We had a, a slight hiccup occur, and... He couldn't be on this week. That's why uh, Justin Lada stepped in. And as always, hit me up on Twitter. Give me ideas for the show. It is a little bit harder when we are in this off-season time. Uh, things aren't happening as much, so I am always open to ideas. I am open to uh, fun or different discussions. We're going to start diving into a little bit more history. I'll probably start taking apart some drafts because that is just something I like to do. Uh, Let me know if that is what you want to hear. If people out there do not like that idea, I will not do that. But for me, I like to kind of dive into some draft history because of, well, you know, it's what I like to cover. But uh, I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a fantastic holiday. And as always, go Tribe!